0: All right, so we wanted to, like Dole said, kind of front load the teaching because this whole series kind of lends itself to inspiring our praise and our thanksgiving uh, for obvious reasons, I hope. So I want to start today with one of these epic statements of Jesus. We really love him and he, he has this, just one of the many epic, what I call epic statements of Jesus that are life-changing if if we hear him and believe him. They're usually short and very powerful This one's found in John 16, verse 33. He says this. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So everyone I have ever encountered believes this first part, right? Like people who have no respect for Scripture, non-Christians, they don't believe in God, they don't have any respect for Jesus, everyone believes this first part. But it is only those who really believe the last part that get to experience the middle. Only those who truly believe that God, through Jesus, has somehow, in some meaningful way, overcome the world. Some significant and real and weighty and meaningful way get to take and keep their heart even when troubles come. Only those people get to do that. It strikes me what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say to his followers, and maybe on our more pragmatic moments, we wish he did say this. He doesn't say, take heart, guys who've given your lives up to follow me and signed on to me. From here on out, I will keep you from all troubles. We, We wish, I guess we wish he would say that, but that's not what he said. Instead, He doesn't give us escape from troubles. He gives us a truth. A truth that he is presuming is more than enough to guard our hearts should we believe it and accept it. That's why we're called believers. So we're spending the month of November in this series entitled Praise and Thanksgiving. Twin disciplines is how I'm presenting them. Disciplines, things we do, and I'm proposing that when we do them as Christians, when we faithfully engage in them as Scripture calls us to, it taps us into something. It taps us into something in a way that resources or fuels a reservoir of joy in our heart within us, that without denying troubles, without, you know, painting on a grin and acting like they're not significant or bothersome or troublesome— because they're troubles. We can survive it. It builds up a joy that's stout enough and muscular enough. And I've experienced people who do this, usually older Christians, older brothers and sisters. They are able to respond to troubles differently where for them it's not the end of the world. It's not the world ender that it, in all other accounts, it should be. So I feel like I've struck gold in this series because I've seen this, I've observed this, I've experienced it to some level, I need more of it, but I've known it's possible to have this resilience to troubles, this spiritually based resilience to troubles. People who are a light in the world, they respond to the bad things, bad news differently than everyone else. I've seen it, so I've known it's possible, but I've never been able to identify and promote to you with clarity c- the concrete things that you can do to exercise and develop that resilience. And I feel like we've stumbled upon it in this series. It's the title. Of the if you wanted to, the pretty muscle, the bicep. If you wanted to build up the bicep. I know exactly what exercises to get you to do to build up that bicep. There's, there's several, and I know exactly where you can go to the town club, and you can do those exercises, those machines, and it will build up that muscle. This one, I believe, I believe praise and thanksgiving are nothing short than those exercises that when you practice them, they are building up this resilience. That's what I believe as a result of this study. Psalm 100 is where we get the words to the song that we just sang when we sing i will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart i will enter his courts with praise it's a it's more of a command almost sounding thing in psalms this is like our commitment to that command i will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart i will enter his courts with praise but both in both you see praise and thanksgiving are all about presence Okay, I want you to make this connection. Praise and thanksgiving, when you participate in them, you cannot do it without going into his presence. You go into his courts, into his, his gates. right? Otherwise, who are you thinking? Who are you praising? See, it, it necessarily takes us into his presence. And he, we know, he is the source of, if it's possible to be in this world With troubles and be able to take heart, keep and take and keep our heart, then it's going to come from Him. So it makes sense that these, it's praise and thanksgiving that develop this because it takes us necessarily to Him. But I wonder if it also works the other way. And this comes from our study last week that when we truly approach Him, even when we go to Him with the opposite of praise and thanksgiving, with accusation and complaint. I do that. He can handle it. But even when we go to him with the opposite of thanksgiving and praise, when we really get into his presence, I think praise and thanksgiving take over. That that's, it's possible. When we go, going to him is always the right thing. When you're going to him right and when you're going to him wrong, because he doesn't change when we dance with him we do and we saw it last week in that it was psalm 56 with david he went to him with a complaint and within 13 verses he can't help himself i'm overflowing with praise i am giving so much thanks nothing had changed in his circumstance are there people in your life that when you're around them you can't bring them down with your news you know you just you can't do it it doesn't matter you you, we hate these people Right? At certain times, we hate these people. But they're also precious. We know. Just It doesn't matter how down we are. It's difficult to stay there, to stay defeatist, stay fatalistic, to stay hopeless. Um, because they seem to always be able to stay open to this idea. Maybe even see how the worst thing might actually have hidden treasure in it. They, they're just able to see it. And when they can't see it, they still believe in something that no matter what it can be redeemed into something good. So think if a person can do that for you, if a person can do that to you, how much more God. How much more can God's presence do this? So I think I'll sing this verse from now on. Yes, I will, cuz when I sing it, I'm singing it as a commitment when I will enter his gates and I will bring thanksgiving with me. But I think I'm also going to start opening up to it as a confession. That when I enter his gates, I find myself with thanksgiving in my heart. Because he is so great. And he is so good. So I've got an analogy that I think really works here. Any of you seen the reality show? It's a cooking reality show called Chopped. How many of you seen that? Just a handful. Have you seen Master Chef? Anyone seen that? I I know Chopped does. I think Master Chef has this element in it too. But the way Chopped starts is there's this group of chefs, and they all get a mystery box of ingredients at the beginning of the show, and so they reveal this mystery box, and in it, it's always like kind of nose crinkling. Okay, it's not. It's just not right. The ingredients are not right. They, uh, they're often, well, they're always unrelated ingredients. So it might be something like spicy mustard and sardines and cauliflower and chocolate. And then sometimes it's literally gross, like beets or eggplant or kale or Rocky Mountain oysters. I found one on YouTube with that. He who has ears, let him hear. All things that are not related Okay, And so this is their challenge. These chefs are challenged at the beginning of the show to take these ingredients and make something good out of it. To make a dish. And you know what happens every time? They do it. They do it. They take these unrelated things, sometimes gross things, inappropriate things, and by the end, they have not just made something tasty, but beautiful. Like it's just... This incredible meal. Now, how do they do that? I'm going to tell you how they do it. They're master chefs. <laughs> That's how they do it. So, hang on to that. In Romans chapter 8, we have a, it's not, it's not Jesus' epic statement, but it's one of Paul's that we rarely believe in. But it describes the worldview of Christians. Believers. Romans 8:28 it says we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. So we're the ones who are supposed to at least we're the ones that believe that God takes all the ingredients of our lives. All of them. Even the ones we wouldn't go out and purchase, the ones that we wouldn't desire. He takes all of those ingredients and all the things that seem so unrelated, the things that, are, that we didn't invite, the things that show up in our mystery box on some certain day, even the downright horrific things, and he, as the master chef, takes all that hodgepodge of stuff and he makes a masterpiece. We're the ones who believe that. Now, the greater our awareness of that truth the greater our bent or our capacity to be thankful in everything. To pre-be thankful in everything. That's a Romans 8.28 understanding. That's what, that's the only thing I can think of that makes what Paul calls us to do concerning thanksgiving that I've read to you, and here it is, possible. Give thanks in all circumstances. It's God's will. It's God's will for you. See, the show Chopped is consistent enough that you watch a few episodes, you know the script. You know the script. And so the next week when you turn it on and something gross appears in the mystery box and something unpleasant and a combination of things that could never be combined are put out there, you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. It's why you watch it's because you want to see, what are they going to do with that? What are they going to do with that? Your confidence that it's going to end well is not because of your initial reaction to what's in the box. It's in the creativity and skill of the chef. That's where it comes from. And so our confidence is not in our love for the ingredient when it shows up in our mystery box. We don't love it. And that's okay. We don't deny that it's horrible. But it is our reason to remember the script and to have faith. We know, we don't know how. We don't know how they're going to mix kale into that and make it good. But we know that they will. I'm not a lover of vegetables. I don't know if you knew this. Anything green seems to me it's something to be walked on, not something to eat perhaps something to climb? I don't know. But it's not, it's not something to eat. That doesn't seem natural or right or godly. <laughs> so growing up, growing up, I was growing My kids are growing up. Grow, uh, maybe I was still growing up. But my kids, Carrie told us when she reported what we were going to have for dinner, she included the word kale. And the kids and I looked at each other and went, ooh, <laughs> kale. And when Carrie served it and made us try it, we loved it. It was awesome. It was so awesome that from that day forward, it got the bacon treatment. You know what the bacon treatment is? We request it, and then, Mom, you're going to need to divide it up equally to all of us, or it won't be fair. Kale, she somehow took something nasty, (laughs) something green, and in the hands of a master chef made it into one of my favorite things. This is what God does. Isn't that a great analogy? It is the expression of thankfulness that reveals our faith and trust in our master chef in our sovereign God if we could see Romans eight twenty eight more clearly I think we would be much quicker to give thanks to God in the face of the financial trouble the medical report the IRS audit the relational difficulty we'd be quicker we'd be quicker look we don't have to be thankful for that thing But when that thing appears we can't help but remember the script. And we're thankful that we have this master chef that's able to use what even the enemy might be delivering in that mystery box. Even the enemy can put something in there meant for your harm. And we're just not impressed. Because we see it as an ingredient. That Joseph Back in Genesis, early in our initiating story, he speaks these words. I went back and looked it up because it sounded like what I was talking about. It's in Genesis 50. He's talking about specific situation. He's talking to his brothers, but it's an archetype of this attitude for all time. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And it's even better for us because Joseph, even Joseph, he had the benefit of hindsight to say this. He probably had to earn this. We probably all do at some point. Maybe that's why older brothers and sisters, it's most evident that they're not as shakeable as the rest of us. But we get the advantage now because we know the script and we've seen it run and rerun and rerun in Scripture and in the lives of so many we get to know beforehand when the bad news shows up, when we get thrown in the pit, when we find ourselves sold into slavery. We get to preload with thankfulness because we know, we know, we don't like this, but we know, and we wonder, how's he going to use this? We don't know how, but we know he will. And so we can thank him. Jesus models this kind of I've decided to call it inappropriate placement for Thanksgiving. It's just inappropriate. Inappropriate placement. He models this in a couple of places, and Paul Paul teaches about it. Let me just show you a few places. So the first one's in John 6. We call this Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. It was this miraculous event where they didn't have enough food and they said send them home you know the disciples did and he said no let's let's feed them here gather up what we got so they came up with five loaves and two fish and so here's the part i want you to hear in john 6 11 jesus took the loaves five loaves five thousand people and he gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted and then he did the same with the fish so he took the fish and he gave thanks. Two fish, 5,000 people. And he gave thanks. Thank you. Thank you. And he didn't give them enough to get their fill. He gave them as much as they wanted. So, jump down a little. I never noticed this, but jump down a little. This is the next day, but it's in the same chapter. Verse 23. Some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Now, pause. Look at that. This isn't that beach near Capernaum anymore, or wherever. was, well, I don't know where it was. I'm making that up. It's, this isn't the beach near Capernaum anymore. It's that place where the Lord fed the crowd. Okay, that's what we call it—the feeding of the five thousand. But that's not what He calls it. He calls it—it's where He fed the crowd after giving thanks. It's like there's an emphasis on this giving thanks part. So we go back. And reread, why is that such an emphasis? Because what did Jesus have when he gave thanks to God? Not enough. Not near enough. That is an inappropriate prayer. When you pray, when you don't have enough, or someone you love doesn't have enough, what do we do? We ask for more. We ask for him to show his glory through his provision, right? That's what we do. And I'm not saying that's wrong. That's actually right. But I wonder if it's best. I wonder if it's the most faithful way. Because, geez, the only person who would take a little lunch sack of food and thank God for this provision for 5,000 people is someone who knows the master chef and is absolutely confident he's going to take not enough and he's going to turn it into some glorious story. Only those people do that. And Jesus did that. And then the Holy Spirit in Scripture decided to mark the location as that's the place where there was not enough and there was thankful prayer and then there was more than enough. That's what that place is now in Scripture. So only those who see not enough as an ingredient get to do that. 1 Timothy chapter 4, first five verses. This Paul. Paul is coaching and shepherding and mentoring his protege Timothy who is pastoring shepherding ministering to a group of churches and so he gives him some information just follow me here he says the spirit clearly says that in later times timothy some are going to abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons so we're dealing with evil here such teachings come through people now. Okay, it's, Evil's behind it, but it's through people. Through hypocritical liars whose consciousness have been seared as with a hot iron. Okay, so there's a warning here. There are going to be things that come to the church that are going to try to collapse their faith. Okay, in this instance, it's teachings. And it's a couple of teachings that he gives as example. They forbid people to marry, and they order them to abstain from certain foods. Okay, so pause here, because he goes on to the food thing, especially here. Uh, there were foods. This didn't just come from nowhere. There was a, you know, deep Jewish teaching. There were certain foods that are unclean, and the people of God are supposed to stay away from those, okay? So this didn't just have no basis in the story, okay? But things have changed with Jesus, and Paul is coaching Timothy about this. You don't want to take those things and then be used to assault someone's faith. And so he goes on and says, this foods, which were created— they were created for something. Even those unclean food, they were created to be received with thanksgiving and by a certain group, those who believe and who know the truth, okay? So there's believers, there's knowers, they've got the larger story. So they receive these things with thanksgiving. So they don't just receive these things, the teaching ears, they don't just receive them, they receive them with something. They receive them with thanksgiving. It's like right there, one sentence, no breath, and, and I've never connected those two, but I am now connecting those two because I'm studying this subject and seeing how powerful it is. And so they connect them, and then this next verse, it almost is like thanksgiving is the act that we as believers do to baptize something, even when it's not preferable or good. All right? So I'm, I'm just following here. He says, for everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So let me just put this in my words for how I'm studying it today and presenting the point I want to make today. We can receive anything with thanksgiving because it, it does something. Now, I don't think God needs us to thank him for horrific things to make them useful. I think he can make them useful whether we... Enjoy that or not, he probably will. I think us, knowing the master chef, knowing that's what's going allows us to join him before this devastates our life. And we get to enjoy the gratitude of what will happen, of of how this will affect the recipe in a good and glorious way. Because all things work out. It it will be good. Okay? And so we get to enjoy it front-loaded before it actually manifests in our life. That's the blessing that we get to have. Because we know that Master Chef. We're not the, look, we don't have to like it. But the more horrific it is, maybe the more eager we are to see how in the world is he going to use this. I know we will. So I want to give you one more, and it's from the life of Jesus. But it's Paul recounting this moment. So it's him teaching, but it's a moment in the life of Jesus. As we do this, let me ask our, our uh, folks that are going to be serving the elements, because this is about that, and we're just going to go right into that as a part of our expression of thanksgiving. So, if you guys can make your way, thank you for that. So, this is in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul's delivering some of the greatest truths we have on the subject of what we're about to do, the Lord's Supper. And right in the middle of it, I won't get into all of it, just this point, he says this right in the middle, starting verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this and the surrounding verses, we've rightly read this many times when we're about to take this bread. And we usually focus on the remembrance, on the cross, uh, all appropriate. But what struck out to me here, because I'm reading Scripture through this lens of thanksgiving is Paul said on the night he was betrayed we don't call it that we call it the last supper or the night he washed the disciples feet we don't refer to but Paul referred to it as on the night he was betrayed he turned took the bread and gave thanks remember I'm calling this inappropriate places for gratitude in John 6 he took extreme lack He gave thanks and it turned it into extreme abundance. And now Jesus, in what had to be one of the most difficult moments of his life, he'd spent three and a half years pouring himself into these twelve guys. These are his best friends, his most intimate allies. He says elsewhere that he would longed to share in this meal with them. On the cusp of his most difficult day, this was his joy, was these guys and one of those guys right there, right before he's killed, in the intimacy of that setting, had sold access to him for personal gain and that's heaven. That just happened. And instead of doing what we would do and start drudgery and probably having our night ruined at a minimum, he just turns and moves right on and takes the bread that he knows what it's now about to represent and gives thanks. His reaction to give thanks. Why? Because Jesus knows that even this thing this most hurtful thing from his most intimate of friends. This thing would play a part in literally leading to his death. But he has such faith in his father, he knows it's an ingredient. It's an ingredient in something that will work for not just what God's after, but what he's after on his best days. And that is the kingdom being brought. That is good. Thanksgiving, guys, defies the worst news. It defies it in the believer's life because Thanksgiving believes in Romans 8.28. And it comes out of us as believers in every single circumstance because all circumstances have been consecrated as ingredients in the recipe that our master chef, our sovereign God, has preordained to be baked into something beautiful, incredible, and good No matter how bad it is. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. Thank you so much for putting at the centerpiece of our faith and even our gatherings here the remembrance of even this truth that the worst, most horrific, most unfair of things can be used, redeemed, and made into this extravagant, incredible, beautiful, most praiseworthy of things that saves many lives. That even when the enemy strategically and powerfully invades and intends something for harm, and it should harm, you even wrapped up his intent and you redeem it and make it good. Make us, God, believers as we take this bread that represents the most horrific, unfair thing, which is also the most incredible, beautiful, and greatest thing. We remember your son, Jesus. Amen. It's beautiful. I see some, you've called, you answered Dole's call, letting your face know. Or you, I see it, you're, you're feeling thankful. Something in the truth of the gospel does that to us, but some, some may not. Some may not. What do we do then? I've quoted it to you enough, and we've sung the, the phrase sacrifice of praise, right? The sacrifice of praise. So it should be unsurprising to you that Thanksgiving is also called a sacrifice. In the Old Testament in particular, especially Leviticus and Psalms, I think it's mentioned in Jonah. They're called to give an offering, called a thank offering. It's a, it's a sacrifice, Thanksgiving. Sometimes as a sacrifice, but, ooh, but what is that? Like when I've always been like, what? I've never stopped. I've accepted it, but I've never stopped to evaluate. What? How is giving thanks? How is giving praise a sacrifice? And so, let me explain it with another interesting find in my study this last week. It's in Nehemiah chapter twelve. There's this. There's described this. The people of God are a They appoint two great choirs for the purpose of giving thanks. Uh, it goes into detail. It lists the names of who's in it. Kinda, it talks about where they begin, how they walk and give thanks, how they end up in the, the house of God, facing each other. Their whole assignment is to give thanks. And this is the, this is the, the note I wanted the, the, to strike here. In Nehemiah 12.20, it says, I assigned two large choirs to give thanks. So what's my point here? You're assigned as a believer to give thanks. You don't have to feel it. You're being faithful when you give thanks when you don't feel it. Don't worry about that. You don't have to feel it. Praise God when you do, but you are not required to feel it. You are invited to give it anyway. Think about it. If it's supposed to be a sacrifice of thanksgiving, a thank offering, then when is it a sacrifice? When your team wins? When you get that windfall? Financially, you know, when she says yes to the big question, when when you get that good grade, is that when it's a sacrifice? No. Here's the truth. Even when our circumstances change because of something horrible, something horrible appears in the mystery box on some specific day or in some specific moment, in our lives, nothing has changed in the ability, creativity, Love and power of the Master Chef, and so we can give thanks to Him, even when we don't feel it. I want to call the praise team up here, and I want to invite you to, if, even if it's a sacrifice, I want you to give your your thank offering, your sacrifice of thanksgiving, and us spend some time doing that. Look, I will never, and have never, and I promise I will never. Suggest that we're supposed to feel thankful when difficult things happen, particularly evil things when they come. But I can, like I said, I can no longer afford to be impressed by evil and what it can do. I just can't do it. Like, I don't have it in me anymore to, to be that devastated. Because anything that I do not have a Romans eight twenty eight faith and trusting God about, that area of my life has too much say in my life. It has too much influence. It has too much voice. And I can't bear it anymore. I can't bear the bad news. It is not in me anymore. Used to be young and strong. I am no longer. But he is. And so whether I feel it or not, I need this. I need him. So I'm going to trust him. I'm going to have faith in him. I invite you to do that as well. When we grab hold of that thing in that mystery box and we subject it to Jesus, and you may need to do it right now. When we subject it to Jesus and we in faith know that it's doomed to not be the world ender that it feels like, but an ingredient for our Father, for our Master Chef to cook up something incredible, helpful, agreeable even good even then i can give this sacrifice of praise and be thankful in all circumstances whatever they are and tap into being joyful and i can keep my heart i can take and keep my heart jesus told us in this world you will have trouble but take heart i have overcome the world i invite you to believe it now and if you got to start this way, just start declaring the truth. There is a Redeemer that takes everything and wraps it into good. Let's sing.